invite you to join me in imagining that we are not Hope Church at 4200 Brown Road, uh, a a well-educated, literate society with our printed Bibles that we can open up and read from the Word of God whenever we want. I want you to imagine that we are believers. We're a group of believers in one of the hundreds of people groups around the world that, one, have no access to the printed Word of God in their own language, have no Bible in their own language, they have to receive the Bible from another language, a trade language, or, um, or something similar. And two, even if they had the printed Bible in their own language, they couldn't read it because they don't have the education. Or maybe their language isn't even a written language. Maybe there is no writing form. There's, there's some languages that, uh, that we're working with in spoken that are, that are like that. They have no written language. It's all just an oral language. Whenever they read or write, they use a trade language, a language of wider communication uh, that, that, that is more regional. But the local dialect has no language in their own, uh, no Bible in their own language. So, invite me on, uh, join me on this journey as we travel. Maybe we're going to northern Nigeria with the Polchi people, a group of farmers um, that I've been meeting with, uh, a, a team of translators from this people group. Uh, had to get up at uh, 2.30 a.m. every morning a couple weeks ago to, to get on to Zoom with these guys uh, as, as we worked through the, 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 the work they're doing to translate the Bible into their language. Maybe we're there. Maybe we've been out in the field all day working in our fields and as evening comes around, uh, we gather around the campfire as we do and, and we start to tell stories. And maybe I'm your pastor, and I know it's my responsibility to share a little bit of God's Word with you when I have the opportunity. So, I've got my camp chairs here. We're set up um, around the, the imaginary campfire. In fact, if anybody wants to come join me up here, you're welcome to. I might ask you a couple questions, but this is just to give you the, the feel, you know, the, the ambiance um, as we joined together here around the campfire in northern Nigeria to talk about the Bible, all right? No PowerPoint. You don't even need to open up your written Bible because, remember, you don't have one in Nigeria. You can if you want. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15. Since it's Father's Day, I wanted to talk about a passage of Scripture that has something to do with fatherhood. And the best Bible story I could find about a dad was this one from Luke chapter 15. Now, for some comfort for you, you dads out there, this is not actually a, uh, a, a true story. Most of the real dads in the Bible um, kind of blow it from time to time. But this is a story that Jesus shared about the, the ideal dad. So... Join me, my brothers and sisters. I have a story for you. This comes from Luke chapter 15. Now, the the tax collectors 
than the sinners. We're all crowding around Jesus, drawing near to him, eager to hear his teaching. And the Pharisees and the Bible teachers of the day were upset about this. And they grumbled and complained. They said, who is this guy that that meets with these sinners and even eats with them? They weren't happy. So Jesus told them a story. Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. One day, the younger son said to the man, Dad, Pops, he said, I want, I want what I have coming to me. Half of this is mine, so go ahead and divide up the inheritance and give me my share now. Well, the man went and he settled his accounts. He uh, divided his property between his two sons, the older and the younger. The younger took his share, and a few days later, he packed up and took off to a faraway country. And in this country, he lived it up. He lived a good life for a while, a a scandalous life, some of us might think, uh, imbibing in every good thing, good and exciting and sensuous thing this country had to offer. Until his fortune was blown. And right about the time his money dried up, there was a famine in the land. And there was no food. And the boy found himself in great need. So what does he do? He goes out and he hires himself out to one of the citizens of this country. And this citizen sends the young man out into his field with a bucket of slop to feed his pigs. One day as the boy's out there in the field with the slop, doling it out to the pigs, he's so hungry that he's tempted just to take the edge off with a mouthful of that for himself. And at that moment, he comes to his senses. He realizes, how many of my dad's servants on his farm live like this? How many of them go hungry? They've got all the bread they need. They've got all the food they need. My dad takes care of his workers. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pack up and I'm going to go home to my dad. And I'm going to say to him, Dad, I've sinned against you and I've sinned against God. Dad, I don't deserve to be called your son anymore. But would you take me on as one of your hired hands so I can make a living for myself on your farm? Well, that's what he does. He packs up and he heads for home. Now back on the farm, dad sees his boy coming from a long way off. And in that moment, his heart wells up with one emotion. Compassion for his boy. And he is overwhelmed with compassion. And he takes off running. Runs down the road. And just as an aside here, for this stately old gentleman to take off running like this was quite the scandal. Quite embarrassing for a man of his stature to run across the field. This would be like you or me running through our neighborhood in our pajamas. But dad doesn't care. He takes off for his boy. 
And he runs to his boy and hugs him and kisses him. And the boy says, Dad, I've sinned against you and I've sinned against God. I don't deserve to be called your son anymore. Well, Dad Dad calls one of the servants over and says, Hey, go run, get our best robe and put it on my boy and find a ring, put it on his finger and get him a new pair of shoes. Then here's what I want you to do. Go out into the field and pick out our fattest calf and bring it in and butcher it because we're going to have a barbecue. We're going to celebrate because my boy was dead and now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. And so they began to celebrate. Well, the older son had been working out in the farm all day, and as he comes home that evening, he, he sees the commotion, he hears the, the, the music and the dancing, and he calls the servant. He says, What's, what, what is all this? What's going on? The servant says, well, sir, it's your, it's your brother. He's come home, and your dad has killed our best calf for him because he came home safe and sound. Well, that brother was furious. He was so angry. He wouldn't even go into the house. He stood outside and he fumed. Dad comes out to reason with his older son. He says, son, come on inside. Son would have none of it. He says, Dad, how long have I worked for you? I've worked on your farm all these days and I've never gone against your word once. But you've never given me so much as a young goat that I can butcher and have a barbecue with my friends. And here this kid of yours comes home after squandering your entire fortune on prostitutes and you kill our best calf for him. Dad says, son, you're always with me. And everything I have left is yours. But your brother was as good as dead. And now he's back alive. He was lost and now he's found. Tonight it is fitting for us to celebrate. That's the end of my story from God's Word. Now, what I've just given you is what we would call an oral translation of Luke chapter 15 in the story of the prodigal son. It was an oral translation in English, but what I did is I took the English story from our English Bible and and translated it from written format into format that is more appropriate for oral sharing, for storytelling. All of the content is there from the Word of God. Nothing has been added. Nothing has been taken out. But I've, I've made it more natural, uh, more shareable, more, more able for oral discussion rather than reading through a printed version of the Bible. And that's basically what we're doing with Spoken Worldwide, only we're not making English oral translations. What we're doing is we're equipping pastors and Christian leaders 
in these oral cultures to take what they have, the written Bible and the languages they can read, to study these stories and internalize them like I've done. Internalize is different from memorize. We're not memorizing word from word. We're taking these principles, digesting them so that we know them and can share them with others. And that's what oral translation is all about. And so, my role is not to translate into other languages. My role is to teach these pastors and leaders and, um, and, and believers from these other cultures to do the translation themselves, to coach them in the process of understanding the word and putting it into their own language. So, what, what we do is in each culture, we have oh, six to ten local translators who who we then work with one lead translator from that country, and the lead translator is conversant in English as well as in the local dialect, and we work with them to make these oral translations. And what they do is they they practice passages of Scripture like I just did with each other until they get very natural and fluid and able to share it, and then they make recordings either on their phone or some type of MP3 recorder. And these recordings then uh, are the basic Bible for their people. The recordings go through different drafts as the consultants like myself. We listen to the recordings. They back translate into English so that we make sure they've understood what they've, um, they've studied and that everything is there, nothing's added, nothing's left out. And then they take the recordings to their uh, local community and share the recordings to make sure they're understood and people can relate to them and they're not using awkward phrasing. And and as they go through these revisions, we'll go through three or four different recordings and ultimately get the final draft that can be published for people to use as they gather around the campfire. Sometimes a pastor will share it himself. He knows it so well, one of these translators These oral people are very good at transmitting stories because they don't have books. They hear a story once and they know it like that. But other times, the pastor's not there, they'll pull out the the MP3 player, little solar-powered radio or something like that, or their cell phone. Most most cultures in the world today have cell phones, even if they don't have a landline to their home or anything like that. And listen to the Word of God around the campfire. Very different experience of taking in the Word of God than what we're used to here at 4200 Brown Road, but a valid and culturally appropriate experience nonetheless. And that's what my my ministry with Spoken Worldwide is all about. Uh, I'm going to Ghana in a few weeks to to help set up a new project, but most of my role happens through... um, through Zoom, meeting with these local translators and coaching them through the process. Um, some of you have asked how the work's funded. Our, uh, our, our, our salary is funded 75% through Bible translation grants that, are, uh, that, that Spoken has won, these grants to do Bible translation from, from Christian agencies, uh, Christian foundations, and 25% through um, personal fundraising, uh, missionary support. So we're, we're kind of in that process right now and appreciate your, your prayers for us as we go through that. But um, that is basically what our work is all about. But it doesn't stop once the people 
have the Word of God in their language. That's not the, um, the, the, the end of the story. See, what I've done so far this morning with you is I've shared the Word with you, but we still need to talk about it, don't we? We still need to do the, the, the hermeneutics, the, the, the exegesis, draw out the meaning of the passage and apply it to our lives, right? And, um, and that's an important part of the oral translation as well. And when you're working in an oral culture, you, you, you do it a little bit differently. I mean, we're not going to gather around our tables with our, with our three-point outlines and fill in the blanks and things like that and do our Bible study that way that we might be used to here. Again, Bible study and the, 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 the preaching and the teaching, it all happens orally. So that's what I want to do next is, is introduce you to the, the, oral, um, the oral hermeneutic, so to speak. Hermeneutic means studying the Bible and, and learning what it means. So when we teach these pastors to study the Bible orally with their people, we, we, we don't use the, the traditional three points in a poem format that they teach in American seminaries, you know, for, uh, that, that I normally use when I stand up to preach. Well, what you're used to, maybe. Um, we teach a little bit differently because people don't have outlines. They're not used to thinking in that format. So, in the oral hermeneutic, we teach people to ask four sets of questions. To ask, one, who are the people in the story? Who are the people in the story? Two, what are the places in the story? What are the places? Three, what are the major events? How does the story progress from one to the next? And four, what are the feelings? What are the feelings in the story? And as people gathered around the campfire, so to speak, talk through these things in a uh, in just a natural, conversational way, the Word of God becomes alive and they take it in, internalize it, and are able to apply it to their lives in powerful ways. And so, that's what I want to walk through with you a little bit this morning. That's what I want to walk through with you a little bit this morning. Um, I don't think we have time to go through all four of those sets of questions. But, what I, but, but I'm, I'm just going to focus on the people for now. Who are the people in this story that we've talked about in the prodigal son? Who are the people? Okay, there's the father. Yeah, I heard you. Thank you. There's participation. This is exciting. I was hoping, you know... Feel free. There's the father. You remember anybody else? The two sons. Okay, good. Now, remember, though, that this morning we actually have kind of a story within a story, don't we? We have a story within a story. Who did this story start with? The very beginning, I heard somebody say tax collectors. That's good. There were tax collectors in the story, too. Don't forget about the tax collectors. They're important. Who else? Servants, Pharisees, so there were the tax collectors, the Pharisees, and one more important person we can't forget, Jesus. 
Jesus was the, the first character in the story. Right. So we have Jesus. He's meeting with the tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees are upset with him, right? And that prompts Jesus to tell the story within the story. So we can't interpret the the story of the prodigal son without remembering why Jesus told the story in the first place. He told the story to the the Pharisees and the tax collectors who were kind of at odds with each other. Because Jesus had an important point he wanted to remind them. So we have the, the, the tax collectors and the sinners, the people that are kind of at the bottom rung of society, the outcasts, the, um, the people that, um, that you might not think would care about spiritual things. These are people who are known for their lifestyle that does not quite align with the kosher Jewish way of doing things, right? And the teachers of the Bible, the Pharisees and the scribes are very upset that Jesus is spending time with these people who are eager to hear Jesus' teaching. It's important to notice. There's been kind of a, a shift in these people's lifestyle because they've come, they've come to hear what Jesus has to say. They're excited about the truths that Jesus is sharing about God's kingdom. And the, tax, uh, the Pharisees are not happy about that. People have no place in God's kingdom. They're the sinners. Get them out of here, Jesus, right? The Pharisees and the Bible teachers represent the spiritually mature people. I, I, I would go so far to say that they represent, you know, what we might think of ourselves here in church today. They're the people, they love God. They, they value his word and they want to do what God says. But they're not excited about these other people coming in and, and being close to Jesus. That kind of rocks their world. So Jesus tells this story to the two groups. And we talked about the characters in the story Jesus tells. Remember? The father and the two sons. The youngest son is introduced first and then the oldest son. Right? And these characters in Jesus' story mirror the characters in real life, don't they? Who who does the younger son represent? The younger son exactly represents the tax collectors. The younger son goes off, blows all his fortune on the pleasures of this world, doesn't care about honoring his father, dishonors and disgraces his father in a faraway country, and ends up eating the slop from the pig's bucket. That's basically how the Pharisees look at these tax collectors. You've dishonored the Father. You have no part in our our inheritance in the kingdom of God. Okay, so the older son, how does the older son feel about the younger son's actions? The older son, he's been faithful to the father. He's stayed on the farm, working hard, obeying the father. And the older son is ashamed, he's angry, he won't even talk to this younger son. 
And he is mad at the father for welcoming the boy back when he repents, isn't he? So the older son's actions, they mirror who in real life? The Pharisees. The Pharisees who Jesus is telling this story to. And lastly, we have the father. The father. Who who does the father represent in the story? Jesus, or possibly God the father. We could just say the, the father represents God, whether it's God the son, God the father. doesn't matter. God welcomes the sinners when they come back to him. The key emotion that the father feels towards this son who disgraced him is not anger, is not shame, is not, um, is not rejection. What does it say the father felt when he saw his son coming? Compassion. Compassion is the emotion that characterizes God's heart towards a repentant sinner that comes to him. So those are the characters, and I I hope you can understand what's going on in the story a little more. Oftentimes when we share this story, we, 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 we focus on the son. And it is a wonderful picture of God's heart welcoming back a, a prodigal son, an, a, a sinner who comes back to him in relationship. But, but that's not why Jesus told the story. First and foremost, Jesus told the story to help the Pharisees understand their part of the picture. Jesus told the story, it's really about the older son, isn't it? The older son, and who did not want to welcome these people back into fellowship. And it challenges them. How did the father feel towards the older son, by the way? The father loved him. You can hear the pride in his voice as he says, You're always with me, son, and everything I have is yours. He's proud of this son. But what the son doesn't realize is is that the father loves both of his children equally and is longing to reconcile and to bring the family back together. And that's essentially what Jesus is doing when he comes to earth and and works his ministry. He's in the business of bringing God's family back together. So who are you in the story this morning? I think each of us can probably relate to one of these characters, if not more. Where are you right now today? Which character resonates the most with you? Father's Day, so let's start with the dad. You don't have to be a father to resonate with what this father is feeling. Whether it's rejection, the shame that he feels initially because of what this boy does to him. But the father's mature enough to let his son go. Let his son go and make his own decisions and learn the hard way. Maybe that's something that we as fathers need to to, to pay attention to. He's mature enough to love both of his sons equally. I love this picture of a father because it's kind of the ideal father. Like I said before, I, 
Look at all the other fathers in the Bible. They all blow it at some point or another. The only perfect father that we see is the one who, 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 um, who models God, the true heart of God, the, 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 the best father, the true father. Maybe, maybe you don't have a dad like that in your life. And Father's Day is just this, you know, dark spot on the calendar because of your own relationship with dad. Let me tell you, the heavenly father longs to reconcile you to himself and treat you like this perfect dad in the story. Maybe you resonate with the the younger son, the one who ran off and lived it up. Maybe that's where you've been. Maybe God is waiting for you, watching the highway. When's my boy coming home? When's my daughter going to come back? God is in the business of reconciling prodigal children like you and me to himself. And maybe you've never received that message yourself personally. Maybe maybe God's working in you right now saying, I love you. I want you to come to me. Yeah, your actions have have separated us. You've, You've done some things that I'm not proud of. But God's made a solution. That's what the life of Jesus was all about. He came to earth. He brought God's kingdom. And then he died on the cross to reconcile you to the Father. He made the sacrifice so that you could be brought back into fellowship with the God of the universe. And that's what this gospel story is all about, ultimately. It's about us joining back into relationship with God. God invites you to experience that perfect father-son, father-daughter relationship this morning. And I invite you to, to accept it simply by trusting in faith that Jesus has made it all possible for you. Jesus has opened the door for that relationship. Maybe you've accepted that long ago, but God, you you kind of wandered away and God's calling you back. God's waiting there on the highway, watching for his son or boy, son or daughter to come home. So maybe you identify with the dad. Maybe you identify with the younger son. Or maybe, maybe we identify best with the older son this morning. You know? Here we are in church. We're trying to do the right thing. We're trying to raise our family right. We're trying to honor our mom and dad and, uh, and stay true to the word of God and, and listen and read it and follow it and, and live God's kingdom principles like those Pharisees were trying to do back in Jesus' day. But how do we feel about those outside our, our walls here? out there on the street, out there in our neighborhood, in our city, that are living lives that are very much opposed to what we hold near and dear to our hearts. How do we feel 
about God reaching out to them. I mean, we say, yeah, we want them to, we want them to come in and join us here. We want them to, to learn the, the, the truth of God's Word and be transformed by it, but are we willing to meet them where they're at? like Jesus did at the start of the story? Are we willing to eat and party with the tax collectors and the sinners of our day? Or are we going to be like the older son who said, what are you doing, Dad? Throwing for a party for this kid who, who blew your money on prostitutes? More often than not, in my heart, I, I'm there, you know? I'm happy when somebody comes into the doors of the church and hears the gospel, but I, 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 you know, it's hard for me to, to cross those barriers in my neighborhood, in my city, to get to, to, to rub elbows with, um, with people living in a very different way than I want to. Oh, what are my friends going to think? What are, uh, what's my church going to think? Um, uh, worrying about all these dynamics. Maybe you resonate with that older son. Let's be honest with ourselves. But each of us this morning, God has a lesson for us to learn this Father's Day from this parable of the ideal father. All of these relationships, (laughs) though this happened thousands of years ago, this interaction between Jesus and the tax collectors and the sinners, it resonates true to this day. God calling you back to himself? Is he standing at his door waiting for you to come and embrace him by faith and become one of his children once again? Is he working in your heart now? Or is he working in your heart to soften you? You are one of his children. He loves you. Everything he has is yours, but he wants you to open yourself up to embrace those who aren't quite there yet. What kind of steps does he want you to take in that way? That's the challenge for us as we try to live out this truth of fatherhood, parenthood that's modeled for us in Scripture. Wherever we are, whether you're a a father, a mother, a son, a daughter, we're all living on this earth trying to grapple with these principles. And our journey into God's Word this morning has equipped us to do that this week. Take it and live it. I'm going to pray. And as I pray, just reflect on the fact, you know, we've, we've, we've journeyed into God's Word. We learned some important truths and it's all been through this oral back and forth experience. And as I pray, our worship team will come forward and lead us in our closing song. Father, we thank you We thank you for the truth of your perfect parenthood. We thank you for this model that that Jesus gave us in the Bible of, of true repentance and reconciliation that is offered to each one of us through the ministry of Jesus who has conquered sin and made that way for us to come and be reconciled to you. So may each one of us this morning go and take advantage of that offer. And Lord, may each one of us who has taken that offer and been reconciled to you in the same way, 
be softened in our hearts towards those around us who need to hear that message as well. May we not be afraid to rub shoulders with the tax collectors and sinners of our day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.